Hello, hello, and uh, good uh, evening for the evening people. Hey, hey, how are you? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Yeah. Um, how are you? Very good. Very good. <laughs> it's great to hear. Um, yeah. So um, another week, another space, um, and a lot of topics as usual to discuss and talk about, uh, which is great. Uh, yeah, we are recording. Thanks for the reminders. Yeah, appreciate it. Every every yeah, every time I select it. But then what I've found is that if you select it when you like uh, organize the space, it doesn't save it. So now if I go in and, and double check, then oh man, fix. Yeah, it's very it's very annoying. Uh, Twitter has a lot of glitches recently. Uh, there was this, I didn't even know about this feature, but uh, uh, my wife, uh, who is also a heavy Twitter user, uh, she said that there was this kind of feature of like circles when you can select like a circle of friends and then the tweets are only supposed to be shown to the circle, but that actually didn't work. So the tweets were shown to everyone. Uh, yeah, <laughs> things like that. And you were like, oh my God, like why, why? Yeah, never mind. Twitter is glitching. Many such cases, many such cases. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, a lot of interesting stuff uh, happened uh, this week. Uh, like not too many, like compared to last week when we had like several major releases, uh, like not, not too many releases this week, but still quite a lot of uh, interesting topics. And uh, uh, this week uh, I spent, uh, more time uh, in Telegram with the community and answering questions. And uh, it was really amazing. A lot of great questions were asked and answered in the channel. And we were going to talk about some of them because I think they're very important. Um, I think one of the craziest stories outside of Beam this week was this, uh, and we just talked about it when, you know, recently with you, like the, uh, the great MEV robbery. Yeah, this is a crazy one. So if I understand correctly, like some, some validator uh, who was recently registered, he basically scanned the MEV bots by just, you know, taking their money. And this money was about 25 million US dollars. And it's absolutely crazy. Wait a second, you're, you're closing your microphone with your hand, with your hand again. Oh, is that yeah. better? Sorry. <laughs> uh, what was I going to say? Oh, and, and if I remember rightly, like after they'd stolen from the MEV bots, the, like, I think it was USDT froze the the USDT that they had in their wallet. Yeah, that, that's crazy. And like, I, I didn't know this part because I only was, uh, like, I, I do monitor some uh, accounts on Twitter that talk about MEV. Uh, but then, like, I missed the, uh, the fact that really, like, USDT blocked, like, $3 million of that money. Uh, and, like, I don't understand how, how it does it, like, this even works. So I, I understand it's not really decentralized in some sense. Like, by, why would you, why would you uh, like, risk your reputation for somebody who actually, like, robbed MV bus? Like, how does this work legally or otherwise? Like, I really don't understand how it happens, but yeah, that that's a fact that it happened. 
Uh, and there are like a, yeah. after after like we talked about it, I looked it up, and there are actually a lot of people talking about this, and some some people are even calling this kind of the most concerning DeFi development of, of this year, uh, which yeah, I believe is close to that. Yeah, and it's it's kind of wild that like at least if I remember right, it, they like USDT froze the funds like fairly rapidly after. And, and like from my experience or like from what I've seen with USDT, they don't really like, they're not that fast to freeze funds <clears throat> when it comes to this kind of thing. So that was kind of weird. And also like the fact that it come from MevBots, not like hacked a protocol or stolen and a phishing yeah, thing it, it, or whatever. Yeah, it's not, it's not a hack, definitely. And uh, the overall legality of this entire process is uh, not exactly well determined in the first place. So it's like difficult to say that it can be considered a crime with such, you know, immediacy and without any uh, additional kind of investigation. But yeah, it, it's, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. Uh, we are going to talk about MEV a little bit today uh, in the context of uh, the high frequency transactions uh, because like, it's a topic that I think uh, we did talk about it, but I think it's um, something that we are still uh, kind of not using enough and we, we haven't not realized the full potential of this feature. Uh, but it's, it's, I think it has a lot of, uh, you know, future with all kinds of different applications. Yeah, so, uh, okay, so let's get started um, with uh, like what's going on right now uh, in terms of like the accumulation, first of all, uh, which is a process of uh, accumulating liquidity before the launch of the BIMDEX uh, for the BIMBMAX pool. So we uh, launched it last week and uh, uh, it's been running since. Uh, exactly remember the current number but uh, I think it was like earlier today it was like let me check the date on of the last we didn't display the entire um, the entire uh, kind of total value locked in, in the uh, in the application uh, but in the morning it was like 361,000 bmax locked uh, which is very nice Nice. Yeah. Uh, I will ask Vladi to check how much it is, it is now. It's, it's just a simple CLI command, but you know, uh, I, I need to. I need to. I, I can talk and type all this, right? It's, like, <laughs> it, it, it's nonsense. Like doing two things at the same time for me is impossible. Yeah, I, I always have this discussion with my partner, and and I'm always telling her that. Men are good at doing one thing at a time. <laughs> like we don't have the the superpower no. of multitasking. No, I certainly don't. No, no way. Uh, yeah. So once uh, once the accumulation phase is over, uh, several things are going to happen. So first of all, uh, this liquidity once the dex launches, this liquidity will be transferred to the BIMBMAX pool, and that will be the starting liquidity of that pool. The price will be uh, set to uh, one BMAX equal for two BIM. 
and also the LP tokens generated from that liquidity will be moved back into the same contract and locked according to the same conditions that were uh, chosen by the users who locked, uh, who locked their funds during the accumulation. And then people who are uh, providing liquidity after the DEX launches will also have an option to lock their LP tokens in the same contract because it will kind of magically transform uh, into a liquidity mining contract and they will uh, get the same uh, lock uh, periods as, as the original contract, only uh, the bonus, like the, the mining reward will, liquidity mining reward will be, uh, you know, the usual one and not the double early bird kind of accumulation phase. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of what is going to happen. Um, now, th that's, like, I'm not sure exactly on which day it's going to happen, but like we will obviously announce that uh, and, you know, kind of prepare uh, everyone for exactly when this is going to take place. One of the things that I really hope to be able to uh, have by that point is a somewhat working uh, early version of, uh, of the web wallet. Um, not 100% sure it will actually happen because of like it takes time to deploy the extension to Google, they need to approve it and all that. But we are getting very close uh, to the point where this uh, wallet is working and operational. And we're also at the same time creating uh, an ability to combine this wallet with the applications within the same extension. Uh, I have recently, like a couple hour, er, hours earlier, I have tweeted the uh, kind of prototype, like UI prototype for this for this feature. Um, and it's going to basically look like this web page with both the dApps and the dApp store uh, visible and the wallet probably is going to open up like this pane sliding from either side. And then you will be able to see the wallet and the application on the same page. Um, immediately as you open the page, you will be asked to create a new seed phrase or restore and then you will be able to operate all of the features of the DAP from within the same page, which in my opinion is going to be very convenient, especially for people who are just joining Beam and they will not have to download anything, install anything, like synchronize the entire node. Obviously it has, its, uh, as we all know, it has uh, some, uh, uh, you know, kind of pros and cons in terms of the security and all that, but uh, I think to get started, is, it's a great opportunity and then uh, if you want to continue using Beam in a more serious fashion, you can always use the same seed to restore a desktop wallet or a mobile wallet, which is also uh, in the works. So, yeah, uh, I think it looks nice. Uh, please let us know your opinions on Twitter. Uh, we did have a lot of suggestions and remarks about uh, uh, all kinds of aspects of uh, various applications and uh, uh, it's, it's very good. The, overall, the feedback that we receive from the community is very important. Uh, not all of it is positive, which is great, uh, because that's that's the best way to, you know, kind of get a reality check and to learn. And uh, yeah, in a moment, we'll talk about some of the important remarks and criticisms and also about some things that were not exactly clear about, uh, uh, you know, our recent activity and all kinds of applications that were released. So yeah, we will dive into that also. Um, okay, so what should we start with? That is a good question. 
we we had some questions coming through from the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we can start with them. Yeah. First one is with regards to the Beam Messenger and specifically to like the security and privacy of the Messenger and and how it compares to other private messengers available. Uh, yeah, it's it's a good question. Uh, so, but what? Before that, there was also another question about the speed with which uh, the messages are actually being delivered, the performance, whether it's going to withstand, you know, uh, higher uh, load uh, and uh, large amounts of people wanting to you know, communicate via the messenger. So let's start with the privacy. So how it works is basically, uh, I almost wanted to say very simple. <clears throat> Whenever you type a message, this message is encrypted uh, using your uh, private key, which means that anyone holding your public key or like basically can decrypt it, right? So you send this message to, at this point in time, a single person who knows your, your public key, so he can decrypt this message that you, you send him. And um, uh, so basically SBBS allows two wallets to establish this communication protocol. Right? So wallets exchange keys, create, the, just like they create a transaction together, instead of a transaction, they create a message together. Uh, okay. Yeah, so uh, it's fairly standard cryptography. Uh, it's exactly as private as, like in terms of the being able to decrypt the actual message, uh, you know, it's, it's just like standard asymmetric cryptography, nothing uh, really exceptional about that. Now, the way that this BBS works is you put your message into the server and the receiver doesn't actually draw a single message because then you will be able to track, uh, you know, by monitoring the network or whatever, uh, which exact message was retrieved. Instead, the retriever gets a bunch of messages together in what is called an SBBS channel. Uh, instead of just, you know, getting all the messages that are currently pending on SBBS, we separated them into some amount of channels and you, the channel is randomly generated when you encrypt the message and then the receiver pulls the entire channel. And out of that channel, the receiver can only decrypt the message that was encrypt, encrypted for it using their public key. So basically what happens is that no one can see exactly which uh, message out of this channel was actually uh, sent to, to this receiver. So it's kind of more, uh, secure in, in not revealing your identity when you pull the messages. Uh, so this is like in terms of uh, in terms of like how it works in Beam. Uh, I'm not a big expert about how uh, Telegram or a Signal work, uh, but uh, so there is no centralized server in Beam case. There is no server and uh, like the connection or the direct like encrypted channel between the two wallets is established. I, I think in a similar manner. Uh, but since there is like no single server in, in between, and obviously no one is holding any kind of master keys, uh, so so in, I think in this regard it's pretty similar. Uh, one major difference, or like one, one difference, is that those messages they uh, they expire. That means that each SBBS message has a time to live of 24 hours, and after 24 hours it can be obviously discarded. So. Like, if the node is operating correctly, and obviously a node can decide to record and store all of these messages forever, 
But from the user perspective, they can no longer retrieve those messages after 24 hours. So if somebody sends a message and somebody doesn't read it after 24 hours, they will never be able to. Uh, it's not a feature of the messenger and it's not a security feature. That feature is only exists to reduce the load uh, of, of storing a lot of messages on the nodes that run as BBS, which by default are all nodes that are run by B. So that's kind of the, it, it's an optimization feature. So it doesn't add any additional security level, but that's, that's how it works today. Um, yeah, now, it's important to to say that if your wallet is like captured, like if you if your uh, you know seed or like your your inform wallet information is uh, somehow uh, seized or discovered, uh, your SDBS messages are no longer private as well because the same keys are used to encrypt them. Okay, so just like you will lose your coins, you'll probably also lose any information, or like it, it can be accessed and decrypted if you lose your keys. So it's important to understand that. Um, yeah, I hope that answers the question. Makes sense. I I have a question. <clears throat> like uh, often Telegram is described as being like a private messenger, but most of the message or most of the chats, like person-to-person uh, -person chats, just a private message, these are not encrypted or? Okay. I really don't uh, want to like uh, say anything wrong here because I, I'm not an expert and but I, I do understand, I do know a couple of things. First of all, like we need to look really carefully uh, what is encrypted and what is not encrypted because yeah. uh, like like don't assume that uh, something is encrypted by default. There are all kinds of different types uh, of you know public chats and uh, personal chats, and then you have the secure chat. So if you are uh, serious about your privacy, please like go and invest in reading about how exactly this feature works, because you might find yeah. a lot of fine print there. Uh, and also like uh, it's important to understand where uh, these communications are really like end-to-end -end encrypted, uh, what kind of metadata is being stored, because you know, in addition to the text itself, there is also a lot of metadata like who talked to whom, for how long, at what time of day, and things like that. And this is not exactly part of the of the chat. It's something that can be very easily stored on the servers and then available yeah. Yeah, to any authority that would uh, request that. Uh, so it, it's an important part to, like, don't ignore the metadata. Yeah, for sure. And And it's like something that, at least I've seen a few times come up in relation to like uh, like crypto protocols having been hacked and, and like some of the metadata that they had leaked and this kind of stuff being used to help identify them at least. Not that, like totally different thing, <laughs> not that you would be using Beam Messenger to do stuff like that. Just made me think of it. I have another question totally uh well actually also regarding communication and specifically about nefrit yeah um and the question is when will there be a nefrit telegram group and will they upload their code to github uh yeah so uh in terms of communicating with nefrit uh i suggest to use twitter which is a 
channel or you know the medium that they certainly monitor because you know we saw them communicating there i have no idea if they even like you have to have like a telephone line right or telephone number to join telegram you can just you know join telegram you have to have some phone right i believe it's i a, think so i yeah. believe it's a requirement anyway uh Talk, talk on Twitter. And also, in general, uh, one of the things that I wanted to discuss, you know, regardless, and uh, uh, it was mentioned by a lot of people in the community for a while now, uh, it's great, like, for example, this entire week, there were a lot of great discussions uh, in the community about many things, stable coins in general, oracles in general, but these discussions, as great as they are, do not generate any incoming traffic. So the, my, my kind of thought is whether it will be possible, and this is an open question, like totally uh, looking for advice here, uh, somehow move at least part of our great conversations to Twitter, because then it can attract, uh, you know, innocent bystanders into the mix and uh, make them kind of engaged and interested in those conversations. Uh, some of them are very being specific, but some of them are uh, very general. For example, uh, one of the kind of most interesting discussions was about like how collateralized or over collateralized stable coins work in general, right? So, uh, what's the difference between DAI and uh, liquidity and defreed, right? All of these things uh, we discussed quite a lot, and uh, I think yep. uh, this is something that can draw attention from a lot of uh, enthusiasts uh, of stable coins in general, and you know. Uh, into, into the mix, maybe somebody from Liquidity will come and you know can answer some of the questions that relate to the Liquidity protocol. So I I, I really think uh, what would be a, the best way, without breaking what we already have, which is a great community with like very nice discussions in Telegram, uh, also move at least part of that into Twitter. So it's it's an open question, and uh, I would love uh, uh, you know opinions about that. Uh, so back to the free for a second uh, and the source code. So if you monitor the community, uh, you, you saw that like once they published the source code, it was quickly not discovered, but like the, there is also a, a free code in almost or like a very similar version uh, in Beam GitHub. But once again, uh, the code that was actually deployed, it was published as a standalone kind of zip file with the specific code that was deployed. So it's like, it's not instead of, but rather like uh, as uh, a reference because Beam did develop the reference design for the feed. Uh, and uh, uh, to upload, I, I don't know if they're going to upload their code to GitHub because like, I, I'm not sure exactly once again, how the privacy of GitHub uh, works uh, for, for, for them. But in terms of if you really want to study how it works or play with the code or understand the mechanisms, uh, a very similar version of what was deployed is in our GitHub right now and it's open to the public. So you can just go there um, and uh, you know look in our shaders folder and uh, look for, for the free. So it's the, the reference design is there. If you want to understand specifically what was deployed, then you can uh, take a look at the code that was published. So I, I don't know if it will be uploaded to GitHub anytime. But uh, if you want some code in GitHub that's very similar to what was deployed, you can just look at our GitHub. So that, I think, answers that question as well. Wicked. And and want to say that I like uh, very much agree with 
the the comments about like asking some of the questions and having some of these conversations on Twitter. I mean, it helps to bring new people in and spreads awareness and and also easier to like share with other people links to tweets and this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, rather than like only having it confined to the Beam Telegram where there's all this great conversation going on, but we're not really letting or getting other people to, to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we, we, we need to find a good way to, to have the conversations there. I think it will be very beneficial, you know, for drawing new, new users and new kind of people interested in Beam. Now, while we're on the topic of the free, uh, there are two related uh, discussions that are very important to mention. So let's continue with that. The first one was about uh, oracles, because uh, Nifrit, just like any other over collateralized table, uses an oracle. And the oracles, as we know, is always uh, kind of a problematic point because the oracles are usually. Uh, centralized or not decentralized. Uh, and this is the second topic that we're going to talk about, the topic of defreet, whether defreet is centralized or decentralized. But let's start with the oracles first. So what's an oracle, first of all? It's a service that allows you to inject data from outside world into the blockchain. Why, like, wh why does it have a special name? Like, what's so special about it? So when you are running a blockchain, Bitcoin or any other, each node in the blockchain can get data from the blockchain, do any kind of processing on it, and then return the result of that processing into the blockchain, whether it's a simple transaction or a smart contract call or whatever, right? And in terms of the validity of the data on the blockchain, the node is uh, you know, the fully responsible party. Like the node is responsible to verify that all of the data that it initially received when it started, first started is valid by validating the entire blockchain. Uh, up to the latest available block. And then all the incoming transactions are validated by the same node that they are consistent both within themselves and also with the context of the blockchain as it is known. And if there is a reorganization, like reorganizing the blockchain, uh, and suddenly a new branch appears with more proof of work or more proof in general, uh, then it is responsible to switch to this new branch. So all of these things are responsibility of the node. However, any other external data uh, which is not originating from the blockchain is a complete mystery, right? So somebody uh, says, uh, oh, you know, Beam is worth, I don't know, five cents today. And there is absolutely no way to verify this information for two reasons. First of all, this information can never be true. Like, what does it mean? Like, who says it's five cents? Maybe it's 5.5 or 4.5 or whatever, right? So there is a market. In the market, there are many, many players. Somebody collects the information about the latest deals and then aggregates it. So we have coin market cap and we have exchanges and we have a lot of information. So there is no actual answer, uh, like one single answer for the uh, question, what's the price of beam as, at this very second? And the next second can be different. However, we do need to determine the price of beam because the collateral, like if we want to uh, create a system in which an unstable crypto is somehow represented in US dollars, we do need to get this price, however correct it may be, uh, at some specific point of time from somewhere. And this is where the oracles come in. The oracles can provide any type of external data. They can provide the data about weather in Scotland, 
uh, and they can provide data about the current, uh, I don't know, score in the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, you know, Memphis Grizzlies game or whatever. Uh, in any case, it comes from outside and it's injected into the blockchain, right? The blockchain cannot go and ask anyone, that's not how it works, because each node will ask a different source and they, they will not agree and the consensus will go kaput. So usually the oracles work by sending transactions that inject external data into the, into the blockchain. Okay, so that's, that's the mechanism and that's how it works. Now, from that point, we can ask like, what's the reliability of the Oracle in, in two aspects. First, like the reliability of the data itself, because obviously if somebody comes and says that Beam is now worth $10, that, you know, as nice as it might be to hear, that's not the truth, right? Uh, also, somebody can just say, you know, nobody knows what the price, like the, the Oracle can collapse and disappear, and then also nobody will know on the blockchain what the price of Beam is. So these are two completely different aspects. The reliability in terms of the you know, which data sources are used and whether they are truthful and uh, whether the Oracle is stable and available. One of the top companies today that provide Oracle services is uh, Chainlink. They have developed their own protocol for that purpose. They have created an ecosystem and they have solidified their place in the market uh, and reputation of a top-notch Oracle data provider. Unfortunately, uh, since BIM is not a top, I don't know, 30 uh, crypto in the world, uh, Chainlink, as you can imagine, are hugely popular. We talked to them twice in two completely different stages of, uh, uh, of BIM development, once before the contracts were available and once after the contracts were available. Uh, and basically, it's like when you're coming, you know, to a very popular restaurant without a reservation, you know, and they just like, like, you want what? A table here? Very funny. Come back next year, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's basically what happened. They said, yeah, you're on the list. And your number is, uh, you know, <laughs> coin market cap plus, uh, plus 10. Uh, they were very polite and uh, they provided all the information and how to integrate guys and all that. However, uh, that, that didn't really, uh, you know, that was not feasible. Um, so having said that, we, we, we needed some kind of solution. So we said, okay, uh, you know, we can't get chaining. So what are we going to do? So we did the oracles ourselves. Uh, what does it mean? Uh, we have a contract. The contract is open source available in the same folder as everything in the like uh, the Oracle uh, contract folder. What it does is it receives uh, price feeds from several sources and averages them. You can take a look at the code exactly to understand how it is averaged. Uh, it, it's a good contract. Vladi wrote it, it's smart, right? So no doubts there, it was tested. The sources themselves, they run on centralized machines, several different centralized machines in different locations, and they provide those feeds to the contract which averages them and that's the price of beam that is used by any application that needs an Oracle on Beam, because there are no other Oracles of Beam right now. We will talk about that in a second. And Nifrit is one of those applications. Okay. All clear so far? <laughs> okay. Now, uh, there were kind of two questions, like how really stable and, and good are those Oracles? And the answer is they are as good as 
What? I dis disappeared? Ah. If you can, can you hear me? If you can hear me, do some, I don't know, thumbs up because Gus cannot hear me anymore. Okay. Okay. So you can hear me. All good. So it's just Gus. Anyway. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, okay. So, uh, the oracles that we did, they are basically, you know, as good as, as things that we are doing in general, but not better. They are, you know, as good as bridges, uh, which are also centralized. Uh, I, I cannot claim that those are the best oracles in the world, but those are the oracles, you know, we can afford at this moment. Uh, not ideal. Yeah, I would love to integrate Chainlink, uh, but that's that's what we have to work with, right? Specifically, the Nifrit contract uh, implies having two oracles, a main oracle and a backup oracle. Uh, so right now, only the main is activated. So there is no backup oracle right now because there is no other oracle other than the one that we have deployed. And also, uh, you know, it would be it would be nonsense to have the same oracle versus both. It's like the first one, the second one. Can other people deploy, deploy their Oracle? Yes, it's possible. It's like, it's, it's fairly easy, right? You can deploy another contract, but once again, the Oracle needs to be uh, precise and available. Which brings us to the second question that was discussed in the same kind of discussion is whether Nifrit can be considered uh, centralized or decentralized because it uses a centralized Oracle. Ah. And another topic is whether there can be a decentralized oracle, and I will talk about that as well. So let's talk about Nifrit first. Nifrit, as a contract, is decentralized and it's governedness. So it means that uh, there is no kind of single uh, user or group of users or whomever that can affect any conditions of the contract without an upgrade. The upgrade of the contract is a procedure that is uh, unless explicitly blocked, can be done on any contract within a specified period of time that was set when the contract was first deployed. And it's true to, for any contract on Beam. Why? Because if you want to upgrade a contract, it's unreasonable to you know do this immediately because people need time to react to an upgrade. So if we detect an upgrade to a contract, there is at least, in, in free case, I think it's one week, something like that, maybe two weeks, I don't remember exact number. But there is some time to respond to any contract upgrade, which is specified when the contract is deployed. And this is some of the information uh, that uh, can be extracted from the contract and should be available in the new explorer. So Nifrit is completely decentralized as a contract. However, it does use uh, a centralized Oracle. Now, what happens if the Oracle fails? Then Nifrit stops working, right? So it just stops doing anything. Uh, it's not like if there is no Oracle, there will be no free transactions. So the state is kind of frozen. Obviously, it's not an ideal situation, but at least people will not be, you know, uh, misled by, by a wrong price or an like old price. Um, that, that's the situation. Now, regarding the possibility of decentralized oracles, somebody said, oh, there are decentralized oracles and gave me some examples of protocols. Now, uh, this is going to kind of uh, uh, 
definition of what decentralized really means. Uh, and I'm a little bit of a purist in this specific department. Uh, usually I'm not, but here for some reason I'm, I'm a little bit stuck. Um, like if you have a, a blockchain like Bitcoin, right? Why, why do I call it decentralized? It is permissionless, like anyone can at any time uh, deploy a node uh, and mine Bitcoin, right? It may be futile, it may be profitable or not profitable, it doesn't matter, but it is a possibility that exists. And you have a sufficient amount of nodes already running. So yeah, you can call it decentralized. Like if tomorrow a lot of people will say, oh, we stop running Bitcoin, then another group of people can come and say, yeah, we are doing that. However, if it's a proof of stake chain, unless it is really very large and like really decentralized, like always there is this kind of uh, possibility, like you don't know who those stakers are, right? Necessarily, how colluded they are, how, yes, Bitcoin miners can also collude, but that, that's a little bit kind of different. Proof of work is easier to, to talk about decentralization than other methods. And most of those Oracle chains that call themselves decentralized, they're using validators. And those validators, they say, yeah, okay, so, Let's say somebody says, oh, if the price of beam is uh, five cents, so okay, let's validate that. And we have some kind of consensus mechanism based on whatever, proof of authority, proof of stake, it doesn't matter. Uh, like, okay, I can call it federated, right? Uh, it's okay. Depending once again on the number of validators, obviously the more validators, which are really truly kind of permissionless and you know can be added at any time by anyone, but this is always a problem with such systems because um, the risk of uh, receiving wrong information from the Oracle is very high. And one thing that you really don't want to, uh, to do is allow um, hijacking of the Oracle feed by kind of uh, legitimate means, right? So the, the, the second that it, it's more profitable to hijack the Oracle, uh, the damage can be much more than just, I don't know, even the rollback or, or like, uh, uh, you know, mining something like, like, I don't know, forking the chain or whatever, right? It's, the, the implications can be huge. Uh, and that's why unless really, you know, the Oracle is so hugely based on, you know, large amount of validators on a like, crazy powerful chain and we don't have Oracles like that right now, I would rather uh, err to the side of centralization and call all of these oracles centralized or federated, and then really call them decentralized, even though they are themselves, you know, calling themselves decentralized. So I don't buy that. Uh, and that's why I said uh, in, in the chat that, you know, or, all oracles are basically centralized, because once again, it's external data cannot be validated by the, by the blockchain, comes usually from some amount of sources, which is not very high. And uh, yeah, like or, oracles are, are problematic, just like bridges. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of, I think, uh, the answer, the answer to that one. Okay. Do we have Gus back online, or uh, I will continue to the next question myself? Yeah, I'll take a small question before Gus uh, is back. So the question is about the faucet <laughs> and why is it always empty? Um, I'm potentially online, but I'm not sure if there's a delay. Yeah, no, you, you are. Like I heard you right now. Say something. Three, two, one, 21, 22. Okay. I don't know. There is a delay probably. Anyway, 
um, the faucet. The faucet is both, uh, you know, the pride and uh, <laughs> the sorrow of, of uh, you know, of smart contracts on BIM recently. Uh, first of all, I re I'm really proud of this faucet because it's the only decentralized faucet that I know of, right? And the reason this faucet can exist uh, is because of this feature that, uh, for some reason, I'm very proud of, is that uh, BIM contracts can subsidize transactions. So the user can come, download the BIM wallet, have absolutely zero of any confidential asset in their wallet, and send the transaction and the faucet will say, oh, here, get some small amount of BIM and they will also pay for your fees, uh, which is super nice. I don't know, I really like it. However, uh, the previous attempt to uh, launch a faucet was like uh, each uh, wallet receives uh, an opportunity to get a small amount of BIM once a day or something like that. So a lot of smart people out there in our community immediately wrote a script that generates uh, you know, shitload of wallets and gets every single last uh, growth out of the faucet. So the total amount of beam in the faucet was, I don't know, a hundred, right? But that's okay. Like we, we will take all of that. So the faucet was very quickly depleted and we uh, stopped uh, uh, putting new funds and removed it from the store and, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, gave up on it for a while. The current faucet version has a global lock of how much uh, you can withdraw per period of time. Like you can withdraw, I don't know, some amount every 10 minutes, right? So if that same person or other people are still really, really, you know, out to get that money that is in the faucet, uh, then they will just sample, right? You don't, it will not help them to create new wallets, but they will probably just sample the wallet every uh, the, the faucet every once in a while and get all the funds anyway. Uh, if you if it's not happening and I, I didn't monitor the situation, but uh, you can just try in a few minutes and we will add this information. It's not a, you know it shouldn't be a, a secret. It was just not reflected well in the app, but we will you know kind of add this uh, label of uh, the faucet is currently reloading. Uh, come back in five minutes or something like that. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's kind of both uh, the feature I'm really proud of, and uh, then, again, it's not possible to protect, uh, it, or, or at least I, I didn't come up with a good solution to protect the decentralized faucet from uh, this kind of exploitation. Um, yeah. Anyone has any questions except uh, me and Gus? You can always request to speak. Um, okay, so yeah, a um, couple of things that I want to talk about in regard to um, to the web wallet. Um, just kind of some things that I would like to mention. Um, so what we're trying to do uh, is um, not only to have the web wallet available, which is nice, but also to have it integrated with the Dub Store. So right now the Dub Store is available inside our wallets as a feature of the wallet. So it's not a the, the Dub Store. It's not exactly a Dub 
uh, of itself, right? So it, it's still part of the world. And what we want to do is to create a, a fully-fledged app out of it. Uh, because our Dapster supports both hosted and you know downloaded applications and applications that were distributed through the IPFS, the centralized part of the, of the DAP store. Uh, it's actually a DAP in, in it of itself, and we can integrate it in a very nice way uh, within the same page as the web wallet. And uh, as I said, I have sent this uh, rendering of how it may look like, and I would like your in, you know, kind of input. And then this is like the part where uh, we can actually do a lot of interesting, um, I don't know, I would say marketing campaigns around it, because the Simplicity of getting to this page and you know getting started with Beam is is very uh, uh, you know very immediate. It's not like you need to download and install, um, and I think it's very important. So I, I would like to uh, get as many comments about that as possible. Uh, in terms of like what do you think would be the best onboarding process like for the user of a new wallet from the web? Uh, because yeah, we, we do have uh, like the onboarding for the desktop wallet, but the web wallet was always relatively kind of smaller part of the operations for some reason, but now it's going to get the main stage, both in terms of the features and both in terms of the, in my opinion, like the amount of new users that like are going to encounter Beam are going to encounter it through web wallet. So it's very important for us all to uh, nail down this experience. So I would really like to welcome any comments. Uh, we will provide like the developer version of the wallet very soon, so you can just play with it in your browser. Uh, on the DAPnet, obviously, uh, we are not going to release it to Chrome Store like we did previously with the testnet. So uh, that's that's like another important point. Um, speaking of the testnet, uh, the testnet is probably going to be removed for now in order to save costs and time. Um, so we did have like initially we have the testnet and the mainnet, and then we added the DAPnet, which was specifically adapted for um, kind of the ease of testing decentralized applications. The difference between the testnet and the DAPnet is that the DAPnet does not use real mining. It uses kind of fake nodes that provides, creates new blocks every uh, 15 seconds. And the idea was that instead of like waiting for operations with real mining, especially on the testnet, which is you know weaker and has less stable hash power than the mainnet, uh, it's much easier to just simulate blocks every short period of time to just you know feel how the application works without waiting for long, you know, for the block confirmation time. Um, so right now the DAPnet is, in my opinion, the most updated of all of the, you know, between the testnet and the DAPnet, all the new applications are on the DAPnet, all of the activity. And um, as the focus kind of shifts, uh, you know, more and more to decentralized applications, I think the DAPnet becomes more important and more uh, central in the testing process. So for now, we will probably remove uh, the testnet entirely. And uh, the only kind of time where we really need you know, the testnet uh, is before hard forks, because obviously hard forks involve uh, you know, real mining and uh, it needs to be tested on, on re real, really mined testnet before, before it can be deployed. So before the hard fork, we will reestablish the testnet, synchronize it, and uh, uh, perform uh, all of the community testing of the hard work process on the test. That's um, that's the thinking. Uh, another update regarding the reverse bridges, which is the uh, moving beam to Ethereum as your C20 token. 
uh, that work is also uh, moving along like, nicely. Uh, I'm not sure like that the test version will be ready next week, so I don't want to promise, but it's somewhere in that vicinity, right? So we're talking about like one to two weeks to uh, to the Dubnet version that we can play with. And then uh, if everything goes well, uh, we will deploy it. So it will be possible to move Beam to, to Ethereum and not just bring Ethereum to Beam. So, yeah. That's wicked. <laughs> Welcome back. I believe I'm back. Okay, cool. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, I have That's a question okay. relating to, uh, you may have covered it and I, I may have missed it while I was trying to get stuff to work again. Uh, but I ask anyway, and, and if so, you can tell me. Sure. Someone asked if if the decks could be made to look more like Uniswap and PancakeSwap. And I have kind of a follow-up question. Is the reason that, or one of the reasons that this is in, in the current design because of the the way the routing works and the beam decks for the the initial launch uh what works the routing like the if you're the routing of the swaps ah uh, no um okay. not exactly so uh, there is no kind of um i would say one major reason uh, why why we started like with the list of pools as a main screen uh, but uh, so the problem is that um, I know it's a problem but it was just a kind of UI decision uh, I, I, I cannot say if it was like a really good one or a bad one um, okay so our assumption was that mostly you are going to trade with one or two uh, or three uh, pools or pairs and in this case what we have done is uh, simplified uh, the pool selection process with like you, you can just you know click the star and create like mark two or three of favorite pools and you will always see those pools in front of you when you open the DAP um, instead of like going into the like once again I, I'm not a very you know, big experienced Uniswap user, uh, but that was the thinking. I'm just explaining like what, what we thought and maybe we were not correct. Uh, instead of like going to um, the selector where you, when you start with selecting a coin and then like, you know, the other coin. So it was kind of in, in our opinion or in my opinion back in the day, uh, a simpler process, right? Um, two things. First of all, we will not change that before the launch. Uh, that will not be possible. Uh, nobody says it cannot be changed ever. So first of all, we are going to see how it works. Uh, if it doesn't, you know, you will let us know, we will listen and uh, we will vote and we will do a bounty uh, and we will change that, right? So it's, it's not an issue, it's just the UI, it's just, you know, basically web development. Uh, by the way, you can take this code, it's open source, <laughs> you can modify it uh, so that it will show you the pairs first. Uh, you can do anything you want. Uh, and yeah, obviously the official version will also be updated if we, everyone will decide, uh, you know, that uh, it's better to have the list of coins first and you know, now we can vote on it, off-chain, on-chain, we have all of these mechanisms available. But that was the reasoning of why we started with the pools. Wicked. Makes sense. Uh, 
and and like uh, I I am a very avid user of Uniswap, and I do like that UI. This wasn't my question. This was someone from the community. But the like the tweet that you Alex sent out earlier today, showing the the decks and and the UI with the web wallet, looks amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I, I will. I will tell the designer uh, that uh, she did a great job, uh, which Absolutely. she did. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, yeah. It, it, like it, it looks. It, it looks great, and it's like uh, I still think that in terms of the the store itself, like the, how the applications are presented, it's really not the final version at all. You know, not the designer did a great job on the kind of adapting the existing uh, layout, but I think it needs to look more like a dashboard. You know, like you, you want to see like the uh, stats of your application. Like today, what is going on is that uh, each application decides for itself, like what it shows uh, inside the application. There is absolutely no information shown outside. Like you go into the store, it looks like kind of plain list of whatever. Uh, there are no indication of how much uh, is the total value locked in that app, how many transactions go through it, right? Uh, which are the most popular applications in terms of activity? You don't know any of that. To get this information, once the new explorer is out, you will have to go to the new explorer. So it's, it's like it's unacceptable, right? It's not something that uh, we want to do in the long run. It, ideally, I think you would like to go into the, uh, you know, Beam Web Wallet and immediately see the most popular applications and what is going on and like what's the level of activity in each and every one of them. Uh, by the way, it's the same. I think it's kind of the same uh, issue with the. Uh, uh, I don't know, even, I don't know, maybe Uniswap, they have different kind of pages for the pool statistics and the pool, uh, you know, uh, activity like that you are doing. So I think we can combine that uh, into a much uh, smoother experience. So that's at least what I, I hope to, to do. Uh, because all of this information is accessible and available to the shaders, uh, which eventually can feed it into any kind of web UI that we create. Uh, so there is no reason to... Uh, separate between the blockchain explorer function, like unless you are looking for a specific kernel or a specific transaction, then yes, of course. But in terms of like showing the info uh, on the smart contracts, I think uh, a lot of this information can be very nicely embedded into uh, the DAP store itself, including details, like for example, when this contract was deployed, uh, or like things like uh, if we are talking about a confidential asset. Uh, what is um, uh, you know the cap uh, the cap of the, on that asset if it exists, um, which is also a little bit confusing. Like for example, somebody asked, okay, so we have the asset minter, and it shows uh, uh, what was the question there? I think it was about Mufrit, or, or, or I don't exactly remember, but like one of the assets that is actually controlled by a smart contract. Uh, it shows as uncapped, right, in, in the asset minter, which is correct because the asset minter only knows about the cap of the assets that it minted, but about the rest of the assets, it knows that it's controlled by the smart contract, but it doesn't know exactly like if there is any cap on that. So it shows like unlimited supply, uh, but in fact, it is limited by some logic. Um, yeah, so all of this information, I think, can be um, pre presented in much better way inside 
uh, inside the, the DAP store. Uh, which, by the way, is one of the topics that we recently uh, discussed with Vladi, who just joined uh, the space, which is very nice. Hi, Vladi. And uh, it's in general about a better integration between uh, the desktop wallet and the DAPs, right? So, like right now, we have a very strict permissions uh, to not allow any DAP to see any information from the wallet, which coins it holds, what are the balances, like none of that is available to the DAP. Uh, however, it does provide a lot of uh, limitations on the usability, let's say, uh, in order to send uh, funds to, to DAP's address. Uh, to, I'm sorry, to BAN's address, you, you have to go into the BAN's application and then you have to select an address and, you know, only you, you cannot do it from a regular send dialog because these are two different domains. Um, and also, if you want to go into the text and see exactly which pools you currently own the LP tokens, uh, for, uh, you cannot see that because the application cannot see your balance, right? So you have to uh, either, you know, favorite them or do some kind of uh, other activity like trial and error, uh, which is less than ideal. And in some cases, these uh, precautions are really important for privacy, but in some cases, uh, we might allow the user to decide which information is available for the DAP. And, you know, the user may decide that the DEX application is trusted enough and uh, it can know some balances like the LP token balances or whatever. So that's also an improvement that we can uh, you know, discuss and, uh, and make. That's a good point. And like one thing that I've noticed myself, like outside of Beam, sometimes I've had like LP tokens and then I've gone to whether it's Uniswap or SushiSwap and looked at my pools and they didn't show up and then I had a very difficult time like figuring out what I'd done or what was going on. <laughs> I can imagine I would be in a similar situation. But it, it goes back to what we discussed in previous spaces about that trade-off between like privacy and, and like ease of use or usability and, and where the line should be drawn or, or that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, it, it's always like uh, kind of difficult. Uh, um, so uh, kind of one, one last, one last uh, story uh, without opening a can of worms, but it, it reminded me about like, you talked about the trade-offs. Uh, everybody knows who Jonathan Davis is, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so Jonathan Davis is a Beam community member, less active in Beam recently, but he was always a very, I would say, uh, kind of, um, how would I put it? Uh, a moral compass uh, of sorts uh, by criticizing many of the decisions that we made. Uh, Especially, and like this is one of the topics that uh, always are controversial, the coin selection, right? Like how do you select which UTXO to spend at any time, which were unlinked and which were linked and all of that. And like, yeah, so this is exactly a great example of when, you know, we, we, we needed to make a decision of how much control over uh, the wallet we wanted to give, especially in the UI, right? In the CLI, you can do a lot of things, but in the UI, uh, it was always a struggle, right? Do we allow to specify in each transaction exactly which UTXO was spent and like all that? Uh, yeah, so it's 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 always a problem to decide 
uh, where to go with that. Um, Absolutely, and and like you mentioned, moral compass, and like often it's it's never so black and white, and and like this is how it should be. Uh, yeah, which yeah. which can be easy. Like think that. I mean, I find myself in everyday life doing doing that kind of thing. This is how it should be, <laughs> but really, it's not that simple. And there's there's always nuance involved. I totally agree. Um, somehow, the hour is over. I don't know how that happened. Yeah. Well, I apologize for my connectivity issues, and I see that there's a, a crowdfunding going on for a new home network in the in the beam price chat so i look forward to that but okay uh, but i <laughs> no i but i i made it back so i'm glad about that and found it very like interesting all of what was covered yeah uh one of the topics that we didn't discuss but we will leave it uh for the next time uh, or for the you know in between in between spaces time uh, which is kind of most of the week I would say uh, about uh, uh, the crowdfunding platform right basically the the, the platform that will allow people to uh, fund specific uh, projects on chain as a DAP uh, yeah uh, it was kind of uh, discussed several times and uh, it's not very difficult to build. So I think we can do that, uh, but uh, yeah. And and this is one that's been like uh, talked about for, for quite a while as well. Like it always comes up and especially when something in the, when something's in the news regarding like some of the crowdfunding platforms, I think last year or the year before or something, there was the, mm-hmm the truckers had all their stuff frozen or something and this year someone different and next year someone different again uh i think it's a very cool like a uh, cool and kind of simple application and and very good use case uh absolutely by the way uh, in general like a lot of uh, recommendations that come uh you know recently are, are really great recommendations whether it's to apply uh, you know, to like specific organizations, exchanges. Uh, uh, yeah, like keep them coming. Like uh, it's it's all it's all working, right? We 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 are doing that uh, and um, uh, pursuing all of these tips that we were given. Listen, you should register this uh, in this side or there. Like it's all it's all working. Telegram groups, uh, it's all good. Uh, so it helps a lot. A lot of you know thanks to everyone and. Uh, you know, keep doing that. Uh, yeah, and uh, I'm I'm online. Uh, so talk to me, talk to everyone, and uh, we will see you next week. Wicked. Thank you again so much, Alex, and, and see you next week. Yeah, thank you. It's been great as usual. Thanks. <laughs> Bye-bye, everyone. See you guys. Thanks.